We gather for the worship of God. God has helped us through another difficult week. We open our hearts to wonder. God never forsakes us or abandons us. We have the potential for faith, and we have the courage to be faithful. We also confess that often we lack courage in our faith, and too often we are reluctant practitioners of hope. Sisters and brothers, Christ meets us where we are, in our needs and in our confession. God has forgiven us. Let us lift our voices in praise to God. Welcome to the worship of God at Northside Drive Baptist Church on this beautiful Lord's Day. It is good to be God's people in God's house on the Lord's Day. It's good to see you, LaDonna, today too. As we welcome one another, we're also aware that God is present with us. And especially do we welcome those of you who are guests and that you are present with us today too. There is on the edge of your order of service a welcome card. If you take a moment to complete that, drop it in the plate, it'll help me connect name and face with you. Also, if there is a prayer request you have, it is an honor for our staff and for our deacons to pray for you by name and by need every week. And so place that on the card, drop it in the plate, and it'll be our honor to pray for you. Well, as we come into this beautiful place, we come away from... Uh, the splendor of autumn, uh, with the colors so bright you can almost taste them, and the joy of the season of, of the year. But also we bring in our heartaches as well, right? Another mass shooting in California killing 12, a fire that killed 23, the most deadly uh, in, in recorded history there, the brush fires that are in all of our families, We bring our gratitude, we bring our grief, and we bundle them in prayer. And in the presence of God and one another, we pray. We also open our hearts to scriptures. Two of the scriptures today deal with widows. Ruth and Naomi from the book of Ruth, and then the widow that Jesus observed giving all she had in the temple. As we hear these I think about the tough times we live in, the generous communities that we're part of, but also the commitment that each of us make to God. In that blend, let us worship God with open hearts and open minds. Welcome. Naomi and her daughter-in-law improvise a future. 
A reading from the book of Ruth. Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, I need to seek some security for you so that it may be well with you. Now here is our kinsman Boaz, with whose young woman you have been working. See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Now wash and anoint yourself, and put on your best clothes, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. She said to her, All that you tell me, I will do. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. When they came together, the Lord made her conceive, and she bore a son. Then the woman said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without next of kin, and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has borne him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him in her bosom and became his nurse. The women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He became the father of Jesse and the father of David. Here ends the first lesson. Now let us pray. Lord, we cry out to you as the psalmist often does. Where are you? May we be reminded of your constant presence, your amazing grace, your unconditional forgiveness, and eternal salvation. Your steadfast love endures forever even in the midst of senseless disasters and brokenness. As fires rage in California and unbelievable violence takes away lives of hope and joy, as we are more willing to judge and blame others, we know that you are still God. We lift up our hearts filled with pain, sorrow, and disappointment. We need your comfort and your peace now more than ever. May you mold our hearts filled with pain into hearts after your own, filled with love, forgiveness, and grace. As we follow you, we know that you will not forsake us as we pray the way that Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, And forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. The writer of this epistle views Christ as both a sacrifice for sin and a high priest who celebrates the meaning of the sacrifice. The good news is that through Jesus Christ, we may find the the gift of God's forgiveness. A reading from the letter to the Hebrews. For Christ did not enter a sanctuary made by human hands, a mere copy of the true one, but he entered into heaven itself 
now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself again and again as a a high priest enters the holy place year after year with blood that is not his own. For then he would have to suffer again and again since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he appeared once for um, for all at the end of the age to remove sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it appointed for mortals to die once, and after that judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Here ends the second lesson. Children, will you join me at the front, please? We're on here. Well, good morning. Happy Sunday. Have a beautiful, sunny Sunday morning. And today is a very special day. In addition to it being Sunday and a day of worship, does anybody know another reason that today is a very special day? Kennedy. It's Veterans Day. It is Veterans Day. Can anybody tell me what it means to be a veteran? Do you know what vet- a veteran might be? Sebastian. Be in the military. Okay. So, um, yes, so in, in Veterans Day in the United States, we observe Veterans Day to honor the men and the women who have served in the United States military or who are currently serving or those who have passed away who served. Did you know that um, this is also a day around the world where um, countries honor the people in their countries that have also served? Yes, it's known somewhere around the world, in other places it's Armistice Day, and in some places it's known as Remembrance Day. Um, But, so what are some things that we can do in our country um, to honor our, the folks that have served in the military? Erin. I forgot last one. Okay, when you remember, you just let me know. Let's see, Eliza. Appreciation and thanks for to our veterans who serve, who cared enough to serve our country for our freedoms because they love God and they love their country. Let's see, Avi. Give them a gun. Okay, um, I think that they are well equipped as it is. Um, so, does anybody see what I have in my basket here? What do I have? What do I have in the basket? All right, have you seen some flags flying in your neighborhood this weekend? You have. Okay, so these are flags. These are the United States flags, right? And some people have them in their yards, and some people have them hanging on their, um, maybe hanging up on a flagpole. 
house. Yes, yes, indeed. So these are, um, by um, showing our flags, that's the one way to honor our veterans. Do we know the different branches of the, in the United States of our, um, branch, different branches of our military? Joseph. The Navy. So the Navy, as the people, the men and women who serve in the Navy, they have, they have things to do um, with um, protecting our seas and serving in the water. What's another branch? The Navy. The Marine. The United States Marine Corps. That, that's right. That's another branch that's um, part of the United States Navy, and they help the Navy, and they, the Marines work on land. Um, Mary Frances. The United States Air Force. Where do you think, how do you think they help out? Raj. Uh, by Air Force. Do you think they're in the water or? Air. Air with their airplanes. Very good. So we have our Na Army. Wait, have we said Army yet? Okay. So Navy, Marines, Air Force. What's one that begins with an A? We have another A. Army, United States Army. Okay. And there's one more it's having to do with water. The United Coast Guard. Okay. So all of these are wonderful ways that people can serve to protect our country and to protect the freedoms of our country. So would you look out into our congregation? Do you know that we have in our congregation some, you know, some veterans? of the United States who have served in our Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines, or Coast Guard. Did you know that? Look out there. Can you guess which ones? If you have served in the United States um, um, as a veteran, would you please raise your hand? <laughs> Look, we have some folks there. And we have over here. Okay, and is, is Liz here today? She's about this here today. So one of the things that we can do is um, we can fly our flags, and we can also say thank you to our veterans. And one way we can also do that is when we see a veteran and we know it's a veteran, we can go up to them and say thank you. Okay? So um, I have flags here, and I want everyone to take a flag. Okay? So now be, be gentle with the flag so we don't accidentally poke someone. Reed, did you get one? Did you get one? Do you want one? Okay. Can you have one? Thanks, Lauren. Did everybody get one? Okay, so we want to thank our veterans for serving, but we also want to thank God for protecting and keeping our veterans safe and for keeping our country safe and for all the wonderful things. So another way we can honor our veterans is to stand. Can we stand? And say, thank you for serving. And we thank you, God, for keeping for keeping us safe and for our liberties. For keeping us safe. All right. Amen. All right. You can stand right there down the middle. If you go to children's choir, I'll meet you at the door. This is your class. This is your class. 
Jesus warns of how abuse can happen in the name of religion and how risky generosity can be redemptive. A reading from the Gospel according to Mark. As he taught, he said, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to have the best seats in the synagogues and places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses and for the sake of appearance say long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. He sat down opposite the treasury and watched the crowd putting money into the treasury. Many rich people put in large sums. A poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which are worth one penny. Then he called his disciples and said to them, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the treasury, for all of them have contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything that she had, all she had to live on. The Gospel of the Lord. My voice is weaker today than I would like it to be, but uh, I'm going to be compensating for it by preaching an extra-long sermon. (laughs) I'm sure there were some amens. I didn't hear them, but the story we just heard is something that we're pulled into by the gravity of this central and simple character. And the simple, central character is not Jesus. It is sort of like a Norman Rockwell painting with a lot of faces and feelings all around. The air has smells and smoke and sound in it. This is a temple setting, so there are burnt offerings. There are the sounds of bartering among the money changers and the sacrifice salesmen. But rather, we are pulled past all of these distractions, pulled like a tractor beam to this one woman whom we are told is a poor widow, per Jesus' words. There she is holding in her hand two small coins. In fact, it's the smallest of Hebrew coins. The Gospel writer not only pulls us close but lets us stand so close, in fact, that we can see through the window of her soul. Now, Judeo-Christian spirituality, or what we might call biblical spirituality, as I read it, is always at an overlap. And the overlap is of community involvement along with, on top of that, individual commitment. You could diagram it like that with two axes, where the community is one thing that involves transcendence, perhaps, but also the individual life that involves intimacy and connection with one another. It is at that axis point that we find our theological traction. It's true of temple and Israelite, synagogue and Jew, church and Christian. Those two things always meet. It did for this woman in the text, and it does for us as well. I was thinking back this week that some of our mamas and daddies reared us 
with those two axes of community and individual commitment. We were reared that way. I was thinking back of how on Sundays, whenever my mother and father would take my sister and me to church, there were always three things that I brought with me. Three things I brought with me. I think I, think I would have sooner forgotten my pants than have forgotten these three things. I bet many of you were reared the same way. One thing was my Bible. I always brought my Bible. So, in fact, on the, was it six point or seven point or a hundred point, whatever it was, record system, uh, you got to check Bible brought. So I brought the Bible. The second thing I brought was the Sunday school quarterly, right? It's a little booklet. Uh, maybe if uh, 30 to 40 pages. Now, I, I don't know how many people wrote those, but however many people were the writers, they were all named Herschel Hobbs. <laughs> and so we brought our Sunday school quarter. But the third thing, what was it? Oh, yeah. The offering envelope. Exactly. And I am, I, I would just, I would have forgotten my shirt more than I would have forgotten any of those Three things. I'm glad that a few years ago, Mike Gregg and some of you said it's time to bring those offering envelopes back, and you see the children bringing them every week. They have a magic power to them because they contain not just a coin, a quarter or a dime, a nickel or a dollar. They can contain an, an expression of self, a part of soul, of who we are. It's sort of the opposite of communion where you take something out to be nourished, it's where you put something in to give nourishment. In this setting, the woman brings her offering, this poor widow. There are sounds all around with bags of silver dollars, let's say, clanging around in the collection plates like a Las Vegas slot machine. I don't know anything about Las Vegas slot machines, but the Finance Committee has told me a lot about them. <laughs> that with a metal tray, you can hear all the banging around, and uh, some commentators say there may have been 13 different bell-shaped brass containers so that as the affluent would dump in the coins, it would rattle as it made its way down the funnel. The bigger the gift, the louder the noise. And here this woman brings in two of the smallest Hebrew coins that weigh the weight of a bluegill's fish scale. They are so light, in fact, she drops them and they almost float in rather than fall. There is no sound made and nobody notices. That is, nobody except Jesus. Now, I don't think that the text and the stories in the New Testament are there incidentally or accidentally. I think you can, if you look closely, you can almost see the Holy Spirit's stitching, the holes and the needles and the thread, weaving it together. I think most of the stories came out of the tensions of the early church. And I believe this probably was part of the strain of how do we be a community, though we have different values, but express our own individual faith as we connect with one another. How does the institution of faith and the individual who's trying to be faithful, how do they connect? You probably heard the uh, 
kind of acrostic of a few years ago, uh, SBNR, spiritual but not religious. I like what Martin Marty said about that. Spirit, the, the people that are spiritual but not religious. Spiritual but not religious does not make hospice calls. There's something about the structure of how we care about God and care for one another that somehow in our communities we, we, we braid it together. In the preceding image right before we see this woman, Jesus goes off on a rant. Did you hear him? It was about warning, religion can be dangerous to your health. And in particular, he pointed a finger at the scribes. Now, I'm sure that was in hyperbole. Not all of them were bad characters. Scribes were copyists, you know. They copied the documents. They copied the texts. But it has sort of evolved by the time you copy enough of them, you think you're an expert in them. And you're looked upon that way. They had evolved to their own class, we might even say sort of political party. And Jesus says that these scribes were known for stealing widows' houses. My goodness, what, a, what an accusation. My hunch is not one of them woke up that morning and said, well, it's a good day out, I think I'll go steal a widow's house. No, I doubt that happened. But in the machinery of religion, in the fine print, the red tape, and in the paperwork, somehow a husband and wife are married, he dies, he has no brother to marry his widow, she has no money, she has no brothers or sisters, and suddenly the house falls behind in taxes and the machinery of religion has absorbed her. It can happen that religion can take more than it gives. We might call it predatory lending in our day and time. We don't know this woman's name, just that she's a poor widow. But by Jesus' recognition, we can never forget her. We started our service today by reading of another story about uh, two widows. You know, the Bible has a special place in its heart for widows and orphans and immigrants. Remember, as they leave the wilderness, go to the promised land, the word is, when you get there, give thanks and invite the alien and the immigrant to join you in the meal because once you were aliens and immigrants in the land. And so the Bible has a special place in its heart for these. The theme of the Bible, you might almost say, is it takes those people who are peripheral and brings them into center focus. Even the New Testament theologians did that about Jesus. What does it say? Yeah, the stone which the builders rejected became the chief cornerstone. In the story about Ruth and her mother-in-law, Naomi, Ruth is a Moabite. It's referred, it's like she has the middle name, the, Ruth the Moabite. She's from south of the border. Her mother-in-law, her former husband, her former brother-in-law all migrate to Moab because of a famine. There, the two men, the two brothers die, the father died, and you have these three widows living together. One stays, Ruth goes back with Naomi. It's from this text that we have that wonderful wedding 
that, that's read between uh, spouses that uh, you'll remember. Whether thou goest, I will go. Whether thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God my God. That's not said among spouses. It's a mama-in-law to her daughter-in-law. How about that? And Ruth pledges her allegiance, gets on the caravan, and travels north with her mother-in-law, and they make a new home where Naomi is from in uh, Bethlehem. The story of Ruth, you know, it's wonderful Jewish storytelling. There's racy content, there's sexual euphemisms, and there's all of the drama of these who are on the edge that God suddenly calls into the center of the story. The punchline is, as you heard Allison read, Boaz and Naomi, I mean, Boaz and Ruth birth a son. He's a fellow named Obed. But Obed both births a son whose name is Jesse, who births a son whose name is David. Fast forward a few weeks and we'll be standing right there reading Advent text and some kid will read, Now there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. This taxing took place when Quirinius was governor of Syria, whoever that is. But Joseph goes with Mary's espoused wife to Bethlehem, the city of David, because he was of the house and lineage of David. Ah, Ruth the Moabite becomes the great-great-great-great-grandmother of Jesus of Nazareth. This one who was an immigrant and from far away has been included from the peripheral margins to the center of the story. When Jesus looks at this woman, he has pity on her in the temple because it seems like abusive religion has taken nearly all she has. Why didn't Jesus intervene, I wonder? You know, just a few verses later, he says to the disciples when they say, my grandmother, what great temples we have, you know? And Jesus says, you know, um, this institution won't last a few more years and there won't be one stone left on another. Why didn't Jesus put out his hand, catch those, the widow's might, and say, don't give your money to a temporary, impermanent institution. But then again, if he did, all institutions are, right? Whether it lasts a year or a millennium. We're all temporary, impermanently here. But the, but the punchline is, is, is our being here in community at this time, does it grow us? Does it grow our spirituality? We get to see this moment in time where this woman gives it all, gives it away, gives it to God, and Jesus points her out. We're not sure why Jesus noticed her, but here's my theory. He recognized himself in her. Because within two chapters, Jesus is going to do the very same thing open his hands, and give all that he has back to God. I'm not going to do that today. But the 
but the story asked me to think about it. Would you join me in that? Amen. It is our tradition that when a word is offered, an invitation for dedication is given. We have folk who say, count me in, I want to join too, like David and Andrew did just this last week. Perhaps God is leading in your life in that way. And we'll sing this song of dedication. It does come with a warning, though. For the third stanza says, take my silver and my gold, not a mite would I withhold. Let's stand together and sing.
I was saying that I wanted to bring some celebrations and concerns to you. Uh, we welcomed Andrea Johnson and her family last week. For those of you who didn't meet Andrea, she is our new director of children's ministries, and her husband Norm and son Aaron and Leah are with us uh, this morning as well. Uh, we are baptizing her by fire today because uh, there was a family missions luncheon already planned that she took over, and that will be in the fellowship hall directly after the service today. We're going to be packing snack bags for our homeless clients of the Buckhead Christian Ministry, and pizza will be provided for parents and their, their families. Uh, reminder to those who have signed up for the Advent devotional to get your submissions to Allison Rowland uh, as soon as you can. Thank you. Tuesday of this week is Triple E, and our very own Walter Grant will be our guest speaker. Walter, look forward to hearing you on Tuesday. Make your reservation if you haven't already. Next Sunday at 5 p.m. will be our annual community Thanksgiving service here in the sanctuary and a short reception in the fellowship hall afterwards. Now, moving into the life of the congregation, we have a celebration uh, this week. Charles and Lindsay Dew, the son and daughter-in-law of Susan and Hartwell Dew, welcomed a new baby girl into this world. Her name is Mary Ellen Burke Dew. So be congratulating the Dew family as you see them, and our prayers are joined with young Mary Ellen. Our prayers continue with uh, George Smathers and Gloria George was discharged and recovering well after his stroke. Our prayers are with Donna McLarty as she recovers from a knee replacement that took place on Tuesday. David, I'd like to ask you to come forward at this time. David Cook is the chair of our finance committee, and David is going to bring us an update on the pledge drive. Thank you, David. Good morning. I am here on behalf of the Finance Committee, and I'm happy to report that we do have a pledge budget, or a challenge budget, if you will. And uh, so we officially been, begin the pledge drive, and as we do so, I want you to consider a few things, uh, just two in particular. One, a good bit of effort went into developing this, this proposed budget, and um, the Finance Committee met and considered a lot of different information from all of the different committees and the ministry teams. And um, we considered historical and projected financials. We considered uh, everything is as minute as uh, the tax law changes to contract renegotiation. So a lot of effort went into this development of, of the budget. But I really want you to think about the more important piece is some of the passion that we observed in the committees and ministry teams putting forth their proposals, their requests for budget line items, uh, this, the passion was, was, was palpable. Um, I, I noted that uh, everything is minute as the flowers. Somebody really cares about the flowers out there. There is no flower fairy that just shows up every Sunday morning to give the flowers here. Um, one particular line item that I would like to mention is the children's ministry and the education piece of that. Uh, that's near and dear to my heart as a father of three kids who are all gone with, uh, or two of which are gone 
uh, to soccer games this morning. Um, the, the education of our children uh, was, was instilled in me as I grew up in, in my home church in Waycross. A uh, good bit different church, but a very uh, similar emphasis on children's education. Um, so I'm glad to see that that is a, a similar uh, uh, focus here. Um, I'm reminded of a call I received a number of years back from J.B. Gilbert um, one Saturday night, I think it was. Uh, we had been out quite a number of Sundays, or, or we, didn't, we weren't there on time because of these soccer games I keep mentioning. And uh, he was reminding me, again, of the importance of, uh, of children's education in the church, and, and that maybe not quite every Sunday uh, that soccer was in the way. Sometimes it was just we were late. And, he, and I, I really appreciated that call because, one, I needed the reminder. Uh, I grew up in the church, and children's education was important, but I needed the reminder from him. But secondly, uh, more importantly, I was uh, struck by his passion for educating our kids. So I want my resources to go towards that passion. And that is why I contribute to Northside Drive and why I make my pledge to Northside Drive. So as you consider your pledge and and submit your pledge, um, I ask you to do it quickly. I also ask that you consider not only your pledge and how you see North Drive, Northside Drive fitting in your corner of the world, but also ask you to consider the, the passion of others um, and how Northside Drive fits in the world at large um, in, in making your pledge. Just one final point. I'm glad to be a member of a church that does Habitat for Humanity. Um, I, as I've mentioned, soccer keeps me away on virtually every Saturday, but I'm happy to be associated with a church that is uh, so... Um, so involved in Habitat for Humanity. I'm happy to be involved in a church that hosts the Baptist Joint Committee for Religious Liberty and the, the Baptist Alliance, Alliance of Baptists, those types of organizations. So as you consi- make your pledge, consider your own passions, but also the passions of others in this church. Thank you. And thank you, David, uh, for your leadership and for your commitment. Uh, Liz and I have turned in our pledge card. I'm hoping that you have or will this week. I think of Louise Davis, our charter member that used to sit right there. How many times I would visit her on the hospital, in the hospital on Saturdays, and she would say, would you take my offering with you tomorrow? And it's that kind of DNA that is in uh, these pews in our lives. Point of personal privilege, Liz and I ask for your prayers for our family. Liz is with her brother today. He's in hospice now uh, in uh, uh, Madison County, Marshall, uh, uh, North Carolina. He's sort of at the front end of the journey, but uh, maybe two weeks or three weeks or, or maybe not that long. But she went to log in some good time with him today. So we pray, uh, I ask that you pray for Liz and me and for Phil and and for our family. Liz and Phil grew up in a gospel song singing community. Similar to what our uh, hopeful gospel quartet will be bringing today. Uh, What a gift this is going to be. I've heard them rehearse. And the way I would say uh, what I love about gospel songs is not the precision of the song's theology. Not the precision of the song's theology, 
but the passion of the music. The passion that comes out in the size of hope. The passion that comes out in the power of harmony. We listen now as they sing and as we give these tithes and offerings.
All-loving God, our voices join with the quartet in the power of their harmony and in the joy of their hope. For in this world that is so tense and pulled apart, we need an anchor that we call upon. May that anchor be in you. Receive these tithes and offerings as symbols of our investment in your old world. And bless and help and heal and hold us all week long. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. And so as we prepare to go this week, remember this. May the strength of Christ uplift you. 
the comfort of the Holy Spirit surround you. And the grace and mercy of God give you hope, give you courage, this day and every day. Let us go in peace. Amen. No, no, I'll be joined by...
is the one who really knows what's going on. I can do the simple things unassisted. Yes. Thank you. 